Welcome to Illumination by Modern Campus. Through this series, we speak to higher education thought leaders about the trends, ideas, and opportunities that are shaping the future of this industry and pick their brains for best practices and advice that leaders can apply to their own institutions. On today's episode, Evolution Editor-in-Chief and Illumination host Amrit Alawalia is joined by Shannon McCarty, the Vice President of Learning and Instruction at Calbright College. The two discuss how program approvals and quality management works at Calbright, which has a totally unique mission, vision, and approach to program design. Well, Shannon, welcome to the Illumination Podcast. Thanks so much for jumping on with me. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Super excited to be here. Absolutely. And and you've uh, we we have actually worked together for, for quite some time. Um, when you were at uh, Rio Salado College, uh, you did a really interesting piece for us about how the institution can adapt to serving non-traditional learners. And and now you're the you're you're at uh, Calbright College, uh, which is serving as the vice president for learning and instruction. Calbright College has a fascinating model, a very unique model. Um, anyone who's read the Chronicle of Higher Education, Inside Higher Education, or any higher ed publication will be familiar with it. But you know, before we dive in, actually, do you want to just share a little bit about you know what's so unique about Calbright and what you what's unique about the the learners that it serves? Absolutely. Well, one of the things that I absolutely love about being at Calbright is just the opportunity to serve you know this really unique population. And Calbright was kind of imagined and designed to serve you know the adult learner uh, that was really being left out of higher ed, specifically in California. So we're looking at you know mothers, caregivers, um, unemployed, underemployed, people of color, veterans, those in rural areas that perhaps weren't able to go to a traditional community college setting. Um, and so really it was this opportunity to create this digital online community college within California, um, just really serving the students within the state. And one of the things that makes it very unique is it's really based on skills. So it's all skills-based credentialing certifications and really preparing students for in-demand jobs. So we're really focusing in on that self-paced, competency-based education uh, program offerings. But then also knowing that we serve such a unique set of students, focusing in on the support services and kind of wraparound support that these students really need um, more than any other, I would say, uh, population. So it's just this great opportunity to really help and serve the underserved in California. Super interesting. So as you're sort of thinking through that framework, I mean, how does, obviously you've worked in, in traditional spaces, you've worked in non-traditional spaces. I think you, your career is a picture of someone who's kind of done both at the same time. <laughs> How does the approach to student and program management need to evolve to make sure that that audience is being served effectively, especially as you've said, you know, you're, you're focusing a lot on, on skill development, so it, it requires more of a framework around sort of competency and mastery as opposed to seat time, which is how we've historically managed academic achievement. Right, absolutely. Um, one of the things that I think is unique at Calbright and something that you know we're uh, really working to, uh, I would say, perfect is getting that workforce uh, industry relationship, and then really starting from workforce and on-demand jobs and skills, and the designing our programs so that they clearly align to those job needs. You know, and we have a really strong uh, workforce and strategy department at Calbright, and they do that initial research. You know, they're leveraging Lightcast or MC Burning Glass, uh, pulling all that data together, identifying you know what are the skills that are needed, 
And then we're really partnering with advisory board members, so those industry leaders, um, having them provide us really specific feedback, not only about like the technical skills needed, but the employability skills. And I think that's where it gets really exciting because we don't always spend time thinking about, you know, what makes for a good employee? Like when I'm doing an interview process or hiring, what are those attributes that I'm really looking for? And so we're really trying to get a lot of that information out when we're meeting with advisory boards and then really building our programs. So not only so you know students are mastering technical skills, but mastering skills that will help them find jobs, acquire jobs, and be uh, successful long-term. So really focusing on that long-term employability. So it's not just recruitment to graduation, it's really recruitment to um, employability and then long-term success in that job. That's an interesting model as, well, as you think about the concept of, of it employability. It's not just about the immediate job. It's about preparation for a career. How much consideration is there in designing programming to where a student might need to come back to the college or how an upskilling or lifelong learning model might evolve out of a, out of a single offering for a single learner at a point in time? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, currently some of the early um, kind of program design is having both like the technical and kind of like the essential 21st skills um, Mm -hmm. classes and programs that are kind of offered together. Uh, So it's an opportunity where, you know, we're kind of thinking about those stackable credentials. So getting students in early, um, getting them employed, but then having them come back once they've built those initial skills. So it's a lot of the program design is thinking more modularized. And so how do we then make things more stackable um, so students can come back? You know, and the benefit of Calvert being in it's still kind of early stages, it is free for all Californians. So definitely appealing for those that mm. maybe just need to get that initial credential, get the job, and then really want to come back to um, employ, improve their employability. You know, one thing that, that's kind of jumped out at me is this is now, I guess, your, your third, um, you know, VP academic or VP teaching and learning role. More than that, actually. Yeah, he's your dean of instruction and academic affairs at Rio Salado as well. So, as you as you kind of look at this work through through your provost lens, it is a it's a unique opportunity because you're you're shaping education, but for a very different purpose. How how are you kind of balancing your your own career background in managing academic programming and through for credit uh, credit bearing programming into a world that's much more flexible, much more agile and and moves very quickly. Yeah, you know, um, I think part of it is just uh, the really strong desire to be want want to be in the space and to really have an impact in this area um, is really what's fueling my motivation. You know, and there really are, I think, effective practices that we take from our traditional experiences, either as a faculty member, as administrator, and then really bring into the new role. Um, And so I, I think for me, it's, Focusing in on those skills has been really helpful. Um, you know, I know from previous experience, it wasn't always about, it was more like the larger degree plan and not really thinking more like in the minutiae and thinking about the skills and then building outward. Um, so I think it's really been those pieces that I think that have really helped tie my previous life to my current role. Uh, and then, you know, I get super excited about uh, thinking about the expertise that I bring, but then still what I need to learn in the space and how I personally can grow as well. And when, I mean, let me, it's kind of an odd question. I mean, you you started at Calibrate in June 2022. Um, I believe this episode will be coming out in October. Uh, so you'll have been there for about, call it four, four or five months. 
What brought you to Calbright? You know, uh, it really was the mission and the population of learners that they served. Um, and I have to say, you know, being in higher ed for so long, the idea that you get to be part of kind of a startup um, is absolutely amazing. You know, there are not very many uh, nonprofit public institutions that are startups anymore. Mm -hmm. And so thinking about the opportunity to build something from the ground up uh, was really exciting. And then again, I, I just think it's so needed in the space. When we think about, you know, current uh, underemployed individuals and even thinking about current hiring practices, you know, there's definitely a drive to start thinking about more skills-based hiring and knowing that we really want to fill that space was super exciting to me. And then I do have to say that like my colleagues and uh, the president of Calbright are absolutely amazing. And so, you know, always that opportunity to evolve and grow was also what brought me to Calbright. Makes a lot of sense. And I'm curious, you know, as you think about the mechanisms to determine sort of program relevance, program quality. Again, it's a different mission. It's a different focus. It's a different population of learners that you're serving. What are some of the approaches that you and your team use to determine sort of how successful a program is at meeting the, meeting its intended outcomes? Yeah. And, you know, we've used uh, quite a few different approaches, but one of the things that I think is fairly unique um, and that I is also a great opportunity as we do pilot launches. And so we really leverage kind of a small population um, of students for an initial pilot and then run that for like three to four months and then really take a moment to do a deep dive and pull some, you know, quantitative and qualitative data on student success, student pace, um, student input, what worked well, what didn't work well, as well as faculty input. And then we take that information and we're able to iterate then and make improvements before we do a full launch into more of a public um, facing uh, program launch. And then even after we launch our programs, we leverage a cross-functional team. So we're bringing in our um, program faculty, our academic success counselors, as well as uh, data analysis, IT. You know, they're meeting weekly. They're pulling kind of student heat maps to see where students are succeeding, accelerating, or where there are hurdles. Um, mm -hmm. And then we're taking that to make make sure that we're either adding additional resources, building up communication plans, trying to be really proactive in our approach uh, to meet those student needs. So really constantly looking at retention and completion. You know, we have a college-wide dashboard that we all look at every day. Uh, so that also, I think, informs kind of the quality of the programs. And then also we do our biannual uh, advisory board meetings. And so again, we're really asking, you know, industry leaders, are we meeting the mark? You know, as you look at our, our core and our curriculum, um, is this what you're looking for? And then always going back to that employability and those skills. It's really asking about, you know, what is it that you're looking for when you hire uh, for these positions? So lots of opportunity to maintain relevancy, but then also just that constant, um, I would say, insight into what the yeah. program quality is. Well, it's, it's kind of fascinating, right? Because as you walk through those mechanisms, the array of checks and balances that you have in place, not for nothing, but it strikes me as more rigorous than, <laughs> than a lot of what we, you know, can see in, in, in the more traditional academic space. And, you know, it's an area where you have a, a ton of experience. I mean, as you think about the, the approach that you guys use to to ensure and, and to keep an eye on program quality and relevance. How does it differ from, from what you've seen at, at other points in your career? Yeah, and you know, I, I think about kind of the process that I've used as a faculty member, as an administrator, and you know, 
constantly looking at student outcomes and usually, you know, it's like an annual process. And so it's yeah. not as consistent or real time or um, I would say just um, ongoing. And so, you know, sometimes I think we miss the mark just because, you know, we wait sometimes three years, five years to do really a comprehensive deep dive into what's working well within our programs. Um, and so I think like that pace is really what is very striking and different. Mm. So really thinking about bringing all of that quality in from, I would say, the traditional academics, um, you know, when thinking about like, are we still... Uh, the employability opportunities and workforce demands, looking at student outcome assessments, you know, all of that is done on the traditional setting. It's just the pace at which it happens. And then one of the things I think that, that Calbright will do very well is not only looking at the larger picture of program outcomes, but measuring um, back down to the skill level and the competency. So making sure that, that you know, as we uh, continue to have completers and we're getting them employed that we're asking like is that the right skill did we get the skills right and constantly making sure that we're doing that feedback loop mm -hmm. so you know it was always my favorite part as a faculty member to do that deep dive and kind of strategic mini plan for my program but now I think that we do it um you know it's not in a solo setting either so it's not just done by a faculty member but it's really a team and I really think it's getting into more of those granular level uh, touch points that equate to success so I think it's the blending of, you know, the best of both worlds, so to speak. So taking a lot of what we know works well for traditional, but doing it at a much more rapid pace. And I think, like I said, getting into the granularity of what we're measuring and looking at for success. Absolutely. You know, as, as I think about, um, I guess, our industry-wide fascination with competency-based education, we've been... I mean, I was going to say we've been talking about it for 10 years, but that's not true because Western governors has, has existed for much longer than that. Um, and it's, but the concept of competency-based education, the concept of, of skills-based micro-credentialing is really starting to become part of, I guess, like the zeitgeist of education, right? We're all talking about it. We're all thinking about it. Yeah. What are some of the lessons you've learned since getting to Calbright about how to effectively manage an institution that's built on this framework that a lot of colleges and universities are struggling to institute even as a skunk works. Right, absolutely. Well, I think it really starts with, you know, just having that very clear mission. Mm. So one of the things I think when you're starting with a different type of institution or a traditional institution, you're trying to move that way, you know, it can be very difficult. Not everybody is bought into that mission or to that change. But I think when you start from the ground up of this is clearly our mission and we want mm -hmm. to, you know, have clear competencies, skill-based alignment to in-demand jobs, you know, you're making sure that you bring people in that have that same buy-in belief um, and really are just focused on student outcomes. And I, I think it makes a very big difference uh, in the conversations you're having. And then it's really, I think, dialing in and making sure that you're paying careful attention to how you're assessing those competencies and outcomes. Yeah. Um, and really, I think doing that full cycle of feedback loop, you know, we do look to the leaders in the field, so like the WGUs and the Southern New Hampshire's and, you know, trying to grow and network in the space. So definitely wanting to learn from the others that have been there before us, but also wanting to, I think, pave our own way, um, but then also share what we learn along the way is going to be extremely important. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, you're not, you're certainly not first to market, but the the model, the institutional model to be non-credit skills oriented competency based student first workforce outcomes like that mentality is, is super unique and you know from an operational perspective I, one of the hurdles that tends to trip people up is the rigidity of the sis 
right? Mm-hmm. There's the, 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 the being locked into the structure of how a traditional institution operates while trying to run something that's foundationally non-traditional. How have you guys addressed or, or overcome some of those hurdles that, um, that are posed when, when there's such a rigid or strict operational approach to, to how the institution runs? Yeah. Well, I think from, you know, and like this, this had obviously occurred before prior to my arrival, um, not starting with the traditional SIS system. Um, so starting with something that was a little bit more flexible, uh, definitely mm-hmm. allowed for some of those changes. Um, but, you know, we are now looking at moving into an SIS system. But I think, again, it's being able to create that from the start versus trying to retrofit it. And I think, you know, like, you have to keep the engine going while you're trying to build this plane. That's very difficult, you know, to have like two lanes running at a traditional institution. But if you're starting from the scratch and you're really thinking about, you know, effective practices, learning from others and trying to set everything up the right way or the most effective way, um, I think that's really the opportunity that that Calbright has that can be challenging at other institutions. So, you know, we'll see how the SIS piece goes, because like I said, we're going to be moving into that field. And, uh, you know, I know a lot of individuals are always, they struggle with the LMS and the learning management system. Yeah. But I've always been like, we really have to get the student information system right. Because uh, it really truly is, you know, your information of record and it feeds mm-hmm. all of your other systems. So um, very hopeful for what we are building and bringing into the into the college. Absolutely. And- as you think about, you know, we've talked obviously a lot about program upkeep, program management, some of the, you know, I, I one of the things that's always fun about a podcast is you can get into levels of sort of nitty gritty day-to-day management that you just can't really do in, in an article format because it's, you know, let's be honest, it's boring when it's not someone's voice talking to you about it. Um, but as you, as you think about sort of that that program quality, the relevance piece, the program upkeep, how that differs from from the way that things can work in a, in a traditional academic environment, what could a best of both worlds approach start to look like? I, I know that you and your team are, are in the beginning stages of exploring accreditation opportunities. How do you bring some of the quality management approaches from a traditional accreditation space, but blend them with the more consistent and rigorous approaches that you and your team are using today? Yeah, that's an excellent question. And I, I really think, you know, like, like I mentioned, it goes a lot it goes back to kind of that program assessment model. And, you know, I think that accreditors, right, we we leverage our peers and they're giving us feedback about how do we improve our current situation. It's a very valuable process. Um, it allows for a lot of insights as to what is working well in areas where institutions can improve. So I think leveraging, you know, that the assessment model and constantly evaluating your programs um, to ensure relevancy, as well as having evidence of ensuring well relevancy and quality is definitely um, key to being effective in the space. Uh, but I think for us, it's like I mentioned, it's really gonna be diving into more of the granular approach. So making sure that we're not just looking at, you know, what our programs offer, but what our students are doing after they've completed our programs. So it's not losing sight of that employability um, is really key to who we are um, Mm -hmm. in making sure that we are holding ourselves accountable for um, student employment, but then also long-term success. And so I think it's, you know, making sure that we really dial in on the alumni voice and the employer voice um, is something that I think could be added to the accreditation process, which I think is gonna be a really important blend for both uh, for the for the our Calbright world, and hopefully, I think for higher ed uh, in the long term. 
Well, well, you know, that's one of the things that that I think is is so important to bear in mind is that we are we're really at at an, at an interesting jumping off point where the the industry at large is starting to look for ways to serve more diverse audiences with more diverse kinds of programming geared towards very different kinds of outcomes that we traditionally had in mind. And the enrollment numbers sort of prove out the value of, of that openness, that flexibility in, in, in what, what institutions are aiming at. And what's fascinating about the work you and your team are doing in Calibrate is that it really does provide a roadmap or a model for what that can look like at, at a college-wide level, as opposed to being sort of restricted to a corner of the institution. It really is an institution-wide effort to make sure that employability, that program quality and rigor are at the forefront, despite the fact that the credentials on offer aren't degrees. Right. Absolutely. And I, I think that that's really like key. I think that'll be key to Calbright's success. You know, I think the goal, you know, obviously started here in California, but the idea that this could be replicated at a national scale is very appealing. Um, you know, I think it'll be really important to have a very clear understanding of ROI. So making sure that we create a model that can be re replicated um, and then scaled out will be extremely important. Um, you know, we have we are currently serving um, about 1,200 students, so a small population. So, you know, always in the back of my head is scalability. So as you think about, you know, trying to replicate and scale the model, you really have to think about, you know, what are the resources that you will need? You know, what are the efficiencies that you need to build into the model um, so that it really can be something where you're serving a larger variety of students? You know, that's the one thing that uh, is nice about being in the space as well. There are so many underserved students in this space um, that you there's really an opportunity for so many uh, higher ed players, a certificate, degree, non-degree to really be effective in the space. And so um, it's kind of nice to be an early, I think, uh, an early trailblazer. Oh, absolutely. Well, uh, Janet, I, I so appreciate you again taking taking the time out to join us. The way we tend to like to end these episodes is um, it's something close to my heart. It's a restaurant recommendation for, for the town you live. Now, I believe you're in San Diego. Is that right? I am in San Diego. Perfect. Yes. Now, so I have to tell you, uh, Ed Abeda uh, at UC San Diego was, was on the podcast a few weeks ago. Uh, and he already uh, mentioned the Renshin Rodent, uh, which is a Sebastro pub, apparently, on the outskirts of San Diego, I think in La Jolla. So what what's your recommendation where does someone need to go to eat if they're in san diego oh so i live in pacific beach so i'm very close to the beach so i definitely love like the beach life and so this will probably speak to others i think one thing that san diego does well is fish tacos and so yes. there's a place called oscars it's kind of off the beaten path but their fish tacos are amazing so if you get a chance you do oscars in pb um, and you will have the best fish taco in your life hands down guaranteed. <laughs> okay. That's a, that's a strong recommendation. Shannon, it's been a pleasure. Hey, thank you so much again. Thank you so much. This episode is brought to you by Modern Campus in partnership with The Evolution. Modern Campus empowers higher ed institutions to thrive when radical change is required to deal with lower student enrollments and revenue, rising costs, crushing student debt, and even school closures. Powered by the industry's only student-first modern learner engagement platform, Modern Campus supports every corner of the modern institution, from continuing and workforce education, to student affairs, to the registrar's office, to marketing and IT. 
To find out more on how you can transform your institution to meet the needs of the modern learner, visit moderncampus.com. That's moderncampus.com.